whatever belongs to your earthly nature, sexual immorality, impurity, lust, evil desires, and greed, which is adultery. Because of these, the wrath of God is coming. You used to walk in these ways in the life you once lived, but now you must also rid yourself of all such things as these, anger, ma rage, malice, slander, and filthy language from your lips. Do not lie to each other, since you have taken off your old self with its practices and have put on the new self, which is being renewed in knowledge in the image of its creator. Here there is no Gentile or Jew, circumcised or uncircumcised, barbarian, scathian, slave or free, but Christ is all and, in, is, and is in all. This is the word of the Lord. So, that was a, as you might guess, this is going to be a really encouraging message dealing with sin and some harder topics, I feel like. I definitely uh, was excited when I saw this as I prepared for it this week. Starting here, actually, in chapter, or sorry, in chapter 3 and verse 5 especially, uh, going all the way into the middle of chapter 4, uh, Paul is going to be kind of leading us through something I've been tell, talking about for a while, hopefully preparing you for uh, in the last few weeks. Uh, he's going to be kind of leading us through some instructions on how to actually live out a Christian life, to have Christian virtues in the way that we live day to day. So it gets a little bit more practical, or as I like to say from time to time, when the, this is where the rubber meets the road. That's a Texas saying. I don't know where it came from, but uh, there it is, and it's a good analogy. Basically, this is the practical application of the foundation that he's given to us in the first half of the letter. As I've said, if you are just joining us for this time, you have no clue maybe what I'm talking about. I encourage you to go home and read through the book of Colossians. Not a very long book, but it will help you to kind of get a grasp for the whole thing. Uh, but Paul spent a good chunk of this letter um, at the beginning uh, explaining the nature of who Jesus is. Uh, talking about his divinity, talking about him in, in his as creator and of the universe and everything, as well as our redeemer, so the personal side of it, and all of his power and his splendor, and all of that to kind of just make this really clear view of whom it is that you are putting your trust in. Who is this Jesus that you say you believe that you want to follow? First, he kind of really lays down a foundation of who that is. Uh, and the foundation is that he gives is also rooted in the truth, which he also litters through all of his letter, uh, but especially at the beginning in building this foundation, this truth that's rooted in who we are in Christ, that he has, that in Christ we have had, sorry, let me try that sentence again, the truth that Christ has died for us, and we are now risen with him which is what, how we started at the beginning of chapter 3, through our faith in Jesus Christ as our Lord and Savior. And by the grace that's freely bestowed on us through the revelation of the Holy Spirit, we are maturing in our faith as we walk daily with Christ, as it's not something, it's not some magic pill we take and then suddenly we're good, perfect people. It's a daily walk that we take with Him. And our hope is, is to build on this foundational truth in our lives so that we can cultivate a life of maturity that's filled with Christian virtues, 
So first we have to have that foundation. We have to build on that foundation, constantly coming back to it, constantly being reminded of it. I always, or I say kind of semi-often that uh, Luther, Martin Luther used to say, I preach the grace of Christ every week because every week my people forget it when he was preaching on a regular basis. And it's true, we forget it. And so we have to kind of always come back to this foundation when we're talking about especially when we're talking about what we're talking about today, living a virtuous, living a virtuous Christian life and actually what we do day to day. Now here in the text today, specifically in verse 5 through 11, we're reminded that, we're, that we've been made new with Christ, right, as we're risen with Christ, but we bring something with us into that new life. We bring with us the sins and the tendencies of our former nature, right? It's doesn't, again, it doesn't just go away. That would be nice, but it's just not the way it works. As we enter into a relationship with Christ and we walk with him, we still bring with us this fleshly nature that we are, that's a part of who we are. And he says in verse 7, you used to walk in these ways in the life you once lived. So you used to walk in them. It used to be the norm. It used to just be how you lived your life. But now you're not walking in those ways. You're walking with Christ. But as we have, even though we've switched who we're walking with and the focus we have, those things kind of stick with us a little bit. So we're encouraged here. And we're also warned that we have to, we have to seek to break away from these desires that we once were enslaved to. Paul also talks about elsewhere in the Bible that we're, we were slaves to sin, but now we're bond servants. We're slaves to Christ. We want him to be our master. We want him to be our Lord because he loves us. He wants what's best for us, where sin only wants to destroy us. So we want to rid ourselves and break free from the things that we once were enslaved to. Now we have been set free in Christ, and whom the Son sets free is Free indeed. Amen. Guys, we did Galatians once, so... Okay, that was a long time ago. That was the first book we did, actually. So we're no longer... We no longer have to sin, is the point. We do bring this nature with us, but as we're not walking in those things anymore, we're not walking in sin, we're walking with Christ, we don't have to give in to sin. Christ gives us, by the power of the Holy Spirit, power over that. We have victory. We've been set free. But unfortunately, again, it's not that easy, right? We still have these struggles. We're going to talk about that today. And in verse 6, though, we also want to really note the seriousness of this. We're reminded, or warned and reminded, of the seriousness of the topic of sin in the world that it's something that needs to be taken seriously. In verse 6, he says, Because of these, the wrath of God is coming. The wrath of God is coming. We don't have time to get into all of what that statement means, but the point is that there is a real judgment day the Bible talks about that is coming onto this world, and there will be a separation of those that belong to Christ from those that have rejected the truth and exchanged it for a lie. They've accepted the lie over the truth. There will be a separation. And there's a lot of imagery Jesus uses the sheep and the goats, there will be a separation, a judgment, and a wrath that is coming. So those who have rejected that have chosen instead to live for themselves, to be enslaved to their own desires, rather than to choose Christ and have victory and be set free. 
Because it's not freedom to live for yourself, to do what you want, to do what feels good. It's slavery to your own desires. And it, we typically don't know and don't want what's best for ourselves. Or don't know what's best for ourselves. Now to be clear, it is grace that saves us. Right? You cannot live a perfect life and earn salvation by any means. I hope to always make that very clear. I'll say it again throughout this sermon today. But how we view sin and how we treat sin can reveal really the secret of our own heart, what's really going on inside and what's really happened, what's really changed or not changed within us. And also, and another kind of in this light of being serious about sin, as Christians, we are also called to be a light and a salt in this world. We're supposed to represent something, to be firm, to be a foundation, and to shed light on things that are not clear to the rest of the world. And when we take sin serious, and we truly want to live a holy life, I can tell you it's the ultimate countercultural stance to take in this world. And you can be sure that people will notice. Something's, some people will say something's wrong with them. <laughs> something's weird about them. And others will say, man, there's something, something special about them. The way that they live, the life, the way they live their lives, the decisions they make, are clearly governed by something different than what my decisions are governed by. Now, if we're honest, none of us are where we want to be when it comes to living in holiness and again, we want to thank God for his grace that it's, we're, we're under the, the realm of grace covered by the blood and all of this, again, we'll also be getting into today. But I think this idea lately in our world that we live in, even within churches, especially within churches, uh, there seems to be this kind of fear of the very thought of living holy. You shouldn't talk about that. You shouldn't talk about living holy. We want to talk about love and grace not holy living, not living righteously, not trying to rid ourselves of sin. And you certainly shouldn't preach on it. But here I am. And I mean, I do, I think, well, who am I? Who am I to talk about holiness? And to that, I do want to say two things. First and foremost, this will be a shocker. I'm not perfect. I know, hello, sorry, I just crushed your world over there, but... I think the rest of them, they all knew already, sorry. And I'm not holy or, or righteous in all that I do and say and think. My old sinful self, my old sinful nature still has holds in my life in certain areas that I'm battling with. I'm no saint, I'm not perfect. But I am being perfected. I know I'm being perfected by the Holy Spirit, the sanctifying work of the Holy Spirit, as is true of all those who are in Christ. That's the first thing we have to remember with holiness. And the second is that today I want you, I want you to see your sins. I want you to be aware of your sins. We're so blind, I think, to most of our sins. Every time I, I have this moment where I feel like a great breakthrough in, in something I've, I used to struggle with or whatever it might be, and I just feel like I just, God just kind of peeks the door open a little bit more into my heart, and he's like, oh, well, actually, there's a whole lot of other things I just didn't really, you didn't really see yet. Because you were blinded by that one thing. You thought that was the only thing you struggled with. But actually, there's a whole bunch of other things. And that's the truth, right? We, we have so many things that when we start to peek into our heart, man, I'm, I, sometimes I'm prideful. Sometimes I'm this. Sometimes We can see these things. But I, I want you to see those things. I don't want us to be fearful of those things. 
to, be, to see your own sins and your faults clearly. And I hope that today, hopefully, you'll learn a little bit better how and grasp how to fight these sins. Number one, for the glory of Christ. We fight sin for the glory of Christ and to surrender to how loved we are by him. We fight them to surrender how loved we are by him. That you are loved as you are, as you are being transformed into who God is calling you to be. By the gift of God's grace alone. But it's not something we want to just be fearful or shy away from or reject or be in denial about. But really say, man, okay, actually that was sin or that is sin and that is something I struggle with or whatever it might be. And pray, how God, how God do I fight this? How do I give this to you? How do I surrender to you and allow myself to be embraced by your love for who I am as you make me into who I'm called to be? So first, let's look at the sins as we're moving slower than I should. Uh, going through these, I, I do want to be somewhat quick. I know we're going to throw, I'm throwing, gonna, there's some big things he throws in here that I'm going to mention you can come and talk with me afterward, uh, but I do think I just want to point something out as we go through these sins. And I, There's a lot more lists in the Bible we could look at, but here is the things he gives us. And the thing that I really want us to, to kind of get is that we're all, in some way, we all fall short. There's not one of us, at least I don't think, maybe come talk to me afterwards, maybe you're much holier than me, but that can go through even this small list that he gives us here and say, yep, I've, I've mastered all of those. Don't struggle with anything there. What's next? Give me what's next. Uh, hold on. Let's look at the list a little bit closer and think through what it can mean. And again, I'm going to just define these biblically. I know some of these are going to be hot button topics today. But first, and as he often does in his lists, sexual immorality. The first thing he lists as he does. Sexual immorality, impurity, and lust. And I will, I'm going to clearly define this according to what Scripture tells us is what sexual immorality is, is any and every sexual act outside of God's design for sex, which is within marriage between a man and a woman. This is just what cl Scripture clearly dictates. I know that's a big topic. This is not a message on that topic, so please stay with me. Don't get distracted. This is what the Bible defines as sexual immorality. And we will look at marriage a little more specifically, as he's going to talk specifically about marriage at the end of chapter 3, in verse, I think, 18 through 20 or 21, if I remember right. And biblically, anything outside of that is defined as sin. This is what the Bible tells us about sexual immorality. But Paul also follows Jesus himself by showing us the sin as not only a physical action, which always makes it much more difficult. So it's like, okay, well, I haven't done anything. You know, I haven't, oh, I haven't cheated on my spouse. I haven't done this or that. But he brings it into the, the realm of thought as well, with impurity and lust kind of extending into our thoughts, the very things that we think, what we think about, what we look at. Obviously, things like pornography, impure thoughts, filthy thoughts, whatever it might be. And... I do want to be clear, 
It's not sin to be tempted. Man, this world is filled with things that are being thrown at us all the time. Not to mention we do have an enemy that also likes to influence the way we think. And so I'm, I just want to encourage you if you think, man, the, you know, sometimes these thoughts pop in my head and I don't know where they're coming from and I just feel like I'm this horrible person. Man, it's not, if a thought pops in your head, it's not sin. It's what you do with it after that it pops in your head. Do you think about it? Do you dwell on it? Do you let it grow into something else? Or do you say, man, I don't want to think about this. I don't want to think about this. I want to move my thoughts to something else. I want to, as the Bible says, to take this thought captive and make it obedient to Christ. I will not let this thought rule me because I know I have been set free over over sin and sin doesn't have authority over me. So, just want to encourage you with that. If a thought does pop in your head or you have struggled with that, it's not that it popped in your head, it's what are you going to do with it then after. So we, but all of that to say, lust, all of these things fall into sin. Then he gets into evil desires and greed, which is idolatry. This one also extends into a huge broad topic that, again, we won't have time to get into, but this is coveting other people's stuff. It's always needing more, never being satisfied with what God's blessed you with, what God's given you in your life, saying, no, I just, you know, I don't need, I don't need this car. I need the better car. I don't need this apartment. I need the better apartment. And always needing more, needing, needing more. And it's not that it's bad to have ambitions or to, to kind of move forward in life or to, to want good things. Uh, but there's a big difference between, man, I, got, I, I need a car, I really want God to bless me with this, or whatever it might be, and needing that more than Christ. Putting it into it, anything that we put into a place in this world that is greater than our Lord, greater than Jesus, greater than our Creator, we are treating it as a Lord, we are worshiping it, and it becomes idolatry. And I know you might think, no, no, I don't have any idols. There's nothing I'm worshiping. I don't bow down to my car or whatever it might be. Man, it's so easy. I see myself fall into this sometimes uh, throughout the week. You're just kind of like, man, I just, like right now, I'm really wanting a new computer because my computer's like 10 years old. And it's sometimes like, oh, I just really want, you know, the best. I want a Mac Pro. And like, I don't need one. But, I, you know, it can, it can easily, if I let that dwell in my heart, it can become something where, I'm, I'm coveting when I see other people have it or I'm just wanting this thing too much and it's not, it doesn't really matter. I don't need anything. I could write my sermons on pen and paper if I have to. I don't, God, God is gracious and good and blessed me. I don't need those things. And so anything, anything that you have desired so greatly that it's diminished the way you see Christ in your life has become idolatry. So, Something I think we all, if we're being honest with ourselves, have struggled with from time to time because we live in a very consumer culture and it's just kind of what the world tells us. We should want these things. We should need these things. The next is that next things he kind of lists here are anger, rage, and malice. Uh, and here again, I'll say it is possible to be angry and not sin, as the Bible tells us. There is righteous anger, maybe anger at the injustice of the world, anger at the sin in your own heart, and your own life, things that we're struggling with. We can be angry at that things. We can be angry and not sin. But this is really specifically talking about anger toward other people, uh, which is any kind of real anger or hatred. Uh, Jesus even compares it to murder, which is pretty strong language. 
but I think the main point would be that it's just a dangerous road to be angry toward other people, to allow anger to kind of grow and, and fester inside our hearts because it leads to rage, it leads to malice, which is malice is this kind of intention or desire to see or to, to do something evil to, or to see evil come onto someone else's life. And I think it's good to extend this also into the thought reins because maybe you're thinking, well, you know, I've never like slid anyone's tires or anything. You know, I've never done anything kind of too heinous. But maybe sometimes like you have that person that you kind of really, you know, it's like I just, God bless them. That's what we say in Texas when people we don't like very much. Just God bless them. Because I can't. Oh. And there's people maybe you have in your life like that, and then you hear about, you know, something bad happened to them, and you're just kind of like, well, got what you deserved. God's justice. Amen. Whatever. That's a dangerous place to be in your heart. And it's, I think ultimately it's sin. It's sin to feel that. It's sin to allow ourselves to kind of have this malice or hatred or kind of justice we want for other people, especially because if we're honest, we don't want justice for ourselves. If we got what we deserved, it would not go well. If we're really, if people knew everything about who we really were, down to our thoughts, we don't want justice for ourselves. Give me mercy, but give them justice. That's sin to think that way. It's a sinful heart and a part of our old nature. We want to repent of that. We don't, and I find, I'll just give you something for me, when I have even just a thought or a moment where I kind of lean in that direction, I try to immediately pray for them. Uh, I know that's never that easy. Sometimes you can, the prayer might be really short, you know, God, don't let bad things happen to them, whatever it might be. But it can be a really encouraging thing to bring your vo- focus back to, man, I'm, I'm really, I'm about Christ. And if Christ wants to show them grace, he certainly showed me grace. Don't let yourself fall into anger or hatred toward other people. The next is slander, filthy language from your lips. This is gossip, talking about others behind their backs. I know no one here has ever done that. No one but Giannis. Sorry. <laughs> I had to do that because he's not here today, so I wanted to give an example of what gossip looked like. Somebody can tell him. Maybe you'll listen to the sermon then. Uh, and so, sorry. Stay focused, guys. Come on. Gossip, talking about other people. It's also coarse language, cussing all the time. I know cussing has like a different meaning here in Germany, it seems to be. It's kind of like a lot of words are okay. <laughs> What? He pointed at you. I, I didn't. Anyway, all right. He's talking about people behind their backs. Um, we want to be careful with this. We want to really watch our heart. Why am I, is my language something that's, that's glorifying God? Is this something that I would say in front of my mother? It's maybe one way to think about it. If you have a mom like mine. Uh, a Texas Christian mom. Is this something I would want to say if I was standing before Christ? Is this the way that I want to speak I think if you just think about it like that, maybe our speech would begin to change. Certainly dirty jokes, things like that. Just, we don't want to have that be something that we project from ourselves. It's a part of our old nature. It's not a part of the new person we are in Christ. And another one I'll point out, as I've taken way too much time on this, is do not lie to each other. Uh, some of you are thinking, you know what? I struggle with lying. I know. So there's some of you who know you struggle with lying. It's something that you've done 
and you just do it repeatedly, you don't know why, and you're struggling with it, but you see it as a sin, and you're working on it. But I do think also some of you lie often, but you just don't count it as a lie. Uh, so there are a lot of examples, but I think one would be maybe like, you know, you're texting somebody, and you're like, ah, oh, hey, man, sorry, I just can't make it. I'm just really busy this week. You know, hope it goes well. But actually, you're thinking, actually, I'm not that busy. I just, God, I don't want to go to that. It sounds boring. That's kind of lying. You know, it's, you're maybe lying with a good intention. You're like, I don't want to hurt their feelings or whatever, but maybe just don't text them at all if you really can't be honest. Uh, but I think this is something that's really common in our culture, these kind of little white lies uh, that just add up and add up. It's just not a good thing to really fall into a habit of. I know it's easy to do it. I've, I've certainly done it in my life, just kind of out of habit. You just kind of write something. You think, oh, I could twist this a little bit so that it sounds nicer than it might be. We want to live honestly. We want to live transparently. We want to live above reproach. We want to root out all elements of sin in our life, even those small things and we don't want to lie to each other. So even if a lie is to protect someone's feelings, it's still a lie. And so, and the, the thing is, is that lying, even in these small white lies, will never produce anything good or healthy or nourishing into the relationship between you and that person or into, between, in between you and the relationship you have with Christ as it is falling into sin. A lie is a lie. There's either the truth or the lie. So, I don't know, maybe that's none of you, but something to think about next time you're writing a text to someone, to something you don't want to go to. The point here in going through these sins, and there are more lists, we could go through the Ten Commandments, there's a lot of things we could look at. The point is, is for you to see there is not a single one of us here who can say, I'm without sin. None of us can say that we're without sin. All of us struggle. All of us fall short. And if you think, actually, no, actually, I, I don't think I'm, I'm struggling with this sin. I, I don't think I have any sins in my life. But biblically speaking, as I mentioned last week, you do not have the truth of God in you. You don't belong to Christ. You have not been risen with Christ. Biblically, is what we see. In verse John 1.8, it says, If we believe we are without sin... We are deceiving ourselves, and the truth of God is not in us. I read that last week as well. So, if that's the case, either you are blind to your sin, and you just are choosing not to see it, or you've elected to build your own God, which is something I think commonly, or happens commonly in our day and age. You've kind of just built your own version of God, taken pieces of this and that that you like, push the things you don't like away. And I would say, yes, your God doesn't see what you do as sin. That's true. But it does not connect with the God of the Bible and what he describes in his own words in the Bible as what sin is. And that's just something to take, especially in connecting with the seriousness of what's at stake here when we're talking about dealing with sin. Today, though, is about defeating the old sinful nature. Uh, with something that I, I heard this in a sermon with grace-driven effort, uh, but the preacher actually stole it from a book, and I'm pretty sure that guy got it from somewhere else, as it goes in a lot of Christian, with a lot of Christian phrases. But I like this grace-driven effort, and the idea is that we want to have effort, we want to apply effort, but we want it to always be driven, always be pushed, 
and pressed forward not by uh, a self-righteousness or a false humility, but by grace, by what Christ has done for us. And we need to start, and this is the first point, we need to start at the root. We need to start at the root. If you've been raised with Christ, a change has begun in you, at the root of who you are, in your heart, in the depths of your heart. And if you've not been raised with Christ, then ultimately you cannot do anything good. You might be able to look good on the outside, but it will always spring out of a heart that is wicked. Because there hasn't been something changed at the depths of who you are. Even good deeds will be done with selfish intent and with the wrong intentions. Because we need that change of the heart. We need Christ. For nobody is good. Only God is good. Is what, is what the Word of God tells us. For those who have been raised with Christ, we also can't simply just change our actions alone. We need to get to the root, right? It's out of the old nature that all of our sin and our wickedness springs out. It's out of that old nature that was we were born with it, we're born into it. I've heard this many times, but now that I actually have a two-year-old, it's true, you don't have to teach children how to misbehave. They learn it, it comes natural to them. You have to teach them what good is. You don't have to teach anybody how to be wicked. That's real easy. It's part of who we are. It's a part of our human nature. So we need to change something, and rather than focusing only on what we do, on, what, on the things that we do, we need to go first to the one that has the power and the tools to fix you. Where you're actually broken, at your heart. We need Christ's work in the heart. If your car won't start, you can give it a new paint job, you can polish it, you can clean it, vacuum it out, but it's still not going to start. You have to go to a mechanic if you want to see it start again. Defeating sin begins and ends with the heart. Defeating sin begins and ends. It is the whole picture at the heart. Verse 9 through 10, or the last part of verse 9. Since you have taken off your old self with its practices and have put on the new self, which is being renewed in, renewed in knowledge in the image of its creator. Now this is an interesting kind of tension that there's, if we look at the whole thing, we can see the tension a little bit better, but I think this is something to try to put it into kind of perspective. Uh, when we're raised with Christ, we are, or we become something new, right? You are a new creature in Christ. You've become something new. And yet we also have this kind of challenge, or this command rather, to change. So it's like, you are new, now be new. So it feels a little bit like, what is he trying to say? We have been changed at the heart. We've put on the new self We've been, that's been given to us by grace. And yet, at the same time, we should then act on this new nature and actively put to death the old self. And this tension is really about the duality of our being. Right? I think Galatians paints it the best. Didn't actually use any references from that. So, but uh, talking about kind of this, uh, what we want to do. We have this kind of the spirit in us that kind of is leading us in one direction, but the flesh is kind of pulling us the other direction. So when we belong to Christ, we have in fact died with him and have been given a new heart, a new self, 
So that's, that is, it is what it is. It's happened. Ezekiel 36, 26 tells us about the promise that this would come, that this would be a part of the new covenant, that part of what was going to happen when Christ came, I will give you a new heart and put a new spirit in you. This is down at the very core of who we are. Something new happens deep inside. I will remove from you your heart of stone and give you a heart of flesh. So we have a desire to do right. We have this desire to live righteously because of the change that happened on the inside of us. That's where it begins. Through Christ, we've been given a new heart that is moldable and transformed by the Holy Spirit within us. It's not a heart of stone anymore, not one that's rigid and rejects Christ and rejects the truth and it only sees our own perspective, only sees ourself, but one that longs to see Christ and is soft to the voice of the Spirit. But we also have this duality in our nature. We are still in this human flesh. And we have this root of sin that's still a part of our being. So we ultimately, we sin, we mess up, we do those things because we love them. We sin because we love to sin. If you didn't love to sin, you wouldn't sin, especially if you know that sin produces only death. Nothing good comes from it. You, you would only, you won't, we choose sin because we love sin. And when we're feeding this part of our human nature, this part of who we are that's still connected to the old self, we will use sin and the desires of the flesh to be our comfort in times of stress and anxiety. When we're feeding that, that's what we're going to run to. That's what's, that's what's going to bring us comfort when we need to be comforted. And it's going to be the thing that we use in our pursuits of pleasure and happiness. Because we love those things. And so we, as we feed that, it becomes more and more something that we love. You're not under its command anymore. You're free from it. You've been set free from the power of sin over your life. So the reason that we continue to sin is because we still love those things. We still haven't let go of the old person that we were. It's like a weed that grows quickly. And especially when properly watered and fed. If you keep on watering it, if you keep on feeding it, man, weeds will, they don't need a lot of uh, extra work to grow. They continue to grow. And this is why sin must be fought on a daily basis. You have to fight against the weeds. As with any weed, it must be severed at the root in the us that is the heart. If you, keep, if you trim the, the leaves off of the weeds, it's not going to affect it at all. You've got to cut it at the root, remove it, and kill it at the root. So we need to arm ourselves, arm yourselves against sin. We have weapons that we can use to hack and cut at the weeds of our former sinful nature. And I'll give you just three somewhat quickly. The first is the blood of Christ. You have the blood of Christ. Ephesians 2.13 says, But now in Christ Jesus, you who once were far away have been brought near by the blood of Christ. I love that verse. What a great imagery. You were far away. Your heart was hard. Other images, you were dead. You've been brought to life. You've been brought near by your actions, by living a good life, by the blood. And only by the blood are we made righteous. 
never by what we do. So we have to first learn how to surrender to Christ so that we can be washed by the blood. Surrender yourselves to Christ so that you can be washed by the blood. It's vital that to really understand this, that you are a sinner. Even at your best, your best week, your best days, when you think, man, this week I really just, I didn't do any of the things that I normally struggle with. We won't, we'll leave pride and self-righteousness to the side this week. Even at our best, at our holiest of weeks, we need the cleansing, sanctifying work of the Holy Spirit through the blood of Christ as much when we live righteously as we do when we live in sin. The alcoholic that spent years wasting their life, living in complete debauchery, needs the same amount of righteousness and blood of Christ as the one who grew up in church and did everything right their whole life. There's no difference. We are all covered by the same blood of Christ. And you have to get that. You have to understand that. Or you're easily going to just fall into different forms of sin in your seeking to live without it. When you grasp that it's not what you do, but really what has been done, your heart is then redirected. And then you begin to see what the blood of Jesus Christ the blood that was spilled really means for you. It means that you are loved. It means you are unconditionally, deeply, immensely loved. A blood, this is a blood that has washed you completely clean and forgiven you totally. This is what he means, I think, when he talks about the knowledge by which we are being renewed, back in verse 10. Rearrange that sentence a bit. This is the knowledge, the knowledge of this truth. By this knowledge you are being renewed, changed from the inside. You begin to love him back when you get this. And to hate, to have a righteous anger of anything that would grieve him, or pull you away from him, or become something that's more important to you than him. Like, oh, I don't want that. And you can say, as David said, as he sinned greatly, he said, against you and you alone have I sinned. Against you and you alone. He got it. Obviously, he had sinned against other people. He had a man killed so that he could steal his wife. And yet he got, man, it was, ultimately, I had I redirected myself away from God. And my greatest sin was that, rejecting God for something else. Against you and you alone have I sinned. So know about the blood of Christ and what it cost and what it means to truly be washed by the blood. The second tool I will give you or I would remind you of is the knowledge of the new covenant promises. The new covenant promises. The old covenant was the law. The law was there to show you that you're not good enough. So we went through those sins, that list of sins. It's pretty apparent. None of us can really say that we are living a perfect holy life. We're all falling short of holy living. But in our maturity as Christians, when we understand the new covenant that we are in, we learn to always run to Jesus, to run to Christ when we sin, not away. So when, that's why I want you to be aware of your sin because when Christ is in you and you've been risen with Christ, it just draws you near to him. 
I don't, I, against you I've sinned. I want to be close to you. I want to see this out of my life. Anything that would taint my vision and view of you. Jeremiah 31, 33 says, this is the covenant. This is talking about the covenant that was to come, the promise. This is the covenant I will make with the people of Israel. And this is also for all nations, including us as the church today. After that time, declares the Lord, I will put my law in their minds and write it on their hearts. I will be their God and they will be my people. He writes it directly on our hearts. We have a new covenant. As we seek him, as we press into him, our desires are changed at the core. So know who you are in Christ, in the new covenant, a new creature in him, and no longer under the law, but washed and cleansed by the blood of Christ. Spend time in prayer, at least once a week, thinking about this, praying the promises of the new covenant. And thanking God, as I've mentioned a couple weeks ago, I think thanking God. And I try to do this as, on a daily basis if I remember. I don't always, but I try to, to thank God even just for the, the, the truth of the grace that I've been given. Thanking him that he has allowed me or brought me into this new covenant. I definitely didn't deserve it. And yet, here I am, belonging to Christ in relationship with Almighty God. What an amazing thing kind of melts everything else away, just that thought alone. And this will radically change how you view the allures you once were drawn into, the things that you loved in your old nature, the sins that you loved in your old self, because they cannot compare to what you've been given in Jesus. So know that new covenant and who you are in Christ. And the last is meditate Meditation on God's word. Ephesians six seventeen. Take the helmet of salvation and the sword of the spirit, which is the word of God. Just the sword, I mean, you know, I don't know. I was like a typical boy, so I loved swords when I was a kid. My son seems to be following in my footsteps. It's, I mean, the sword, man, it's, it's such a, a mighty weapon. It's the only real offensive weapon that we're given there in Ephesians when he talks about the armor that we put on. And what is that armor? It is the word of God. It's the word of God. We have such a great weapon that we can wield. But you've got to get it in your hands by getting it into your mind. So that you can speak the truth of God's word. It contains the very power and authority of the Holy Spirit by whom it was written. Every word is breathed by the Holy Spirit. We talk about the power of the Holy Spirit in our lives. There's no greater evidence of the power of the Holy Spirit than in the words that he spoke himself. Know it so that you can wield it against the enemy and truly hack at those weeds with something that's sharp, something that cuts. And the word of God definitely cuts. It's here that we learn about the blood of Christ and it's here that we learn and we know and have the truth of the new covenant that sinks into our heart through a knowledge of the word of God. It is truly a powerful weapon to fight against sin as we know and we meditate on the word of God. So, that one I say all the time. Hopefully you guys know that by now. Next point I want to point out here is use, this is a little bit not so churchy, use violence. Use violence against sin. 
be violent. I mean, let's look at the language here. Put to death, rid yourselves of such things. That word, this is, uh, this is the title of the sermon today, to murder sin, because that's literally what that means in Greek, to put to death, to murder. Well, that sounds so intense. <laughs> murder, murder it. When Jesus died on the cross, you died with him. Your sins have been nailed to the cross. Don't let them come back to life. Romans 8.13, for if you live according to the flesh, you will die. But if by the Spirit you put to death the misdeeds of the body, you will live. I was looking uh, the other day on kind of heard, looking for an analogy here, and I found like these stories about people who were attacked. This actually just kind of came up on my feed. That's where I got this from. Uh, A man in South Africa that was attacked by a lion that he had had most of its life. He had tamed it, it, you know, did tricks, and he, like, would wrestle with it, and I don't know, whatever you do when you have a pet lion. Never had one myself. And the lion turned on him and killed him one day. And as I read the story, I looked up other stories, and it seems to be a thing. A lot of people have had lions that they've tamed that have turned on them eventually. Uh, And what I found most shocking about these stories is how shocked everybody was. Like, I can't believe it. It, He had it for so many years, and one day it just decided to turn on him. It's like, yeah, it's a lion. It's a lion. A full-grown male lion is not interested in being anyone's pet. You know, like he might stick around, let you think you have control for a little while because he's getting those steaks every day. But one day he might be like, you know what, I'm kind of done with this guy. He's like, really, that's way too many selfies. I'm done. One bite, over. And that's the truth, man. As soon as they're not interested in doing what you say, in just one motion, it can kill you and rip you to pieces. So if you were thinking about buying a lion to tame, I recommend you don't do it. But the point I'm trying to make is don't try to tame your sin. Destroy it. Don't try to tame your sin. The devil is like a lion, it says in 1 Peter, seeking someone to be tamed by. No. Lions don't want to be tamed. He is seeking with one purpose, and that is to destroy you. Sin is there to destroy you. It cannot be tamed. You cannot tame sin. And if you try to tame sin, you'll end up fighting sin with sin. And I'm going to give two examples that I read in my study. They were presented as prominently male and prominently female, but uh, I think it can both can be applied to both genders. You can decide for yourself which might apply to you. And the first one I will, I'll mention is a lot of times when we're fighting, when people are fighting lust and impure thoughts and looking at pornography, uh, they'll fight it with self-righteousness with this, I'm going to bend this to my will. I'm going to tame this sin in my life. And then it becomes this self-righteous, look at me, I've tamed it. And we try to, you know, they make it kind of jump through the fire hoop and everything. But in reality, they don't have any control. And it usually, it always crumbles. And then they fall back into that sin. But even when they are, have this kind of victory by taming this sin, they've only tamed it with another sin. And sin still wins. You've just replaced lust and 
evil, impure thoughts and pornography with self-righteousness and false humility. And another one is fighting fears and anxieties. So ultimately, this is not trusting in God. We have like, oh, I just, you know, fear about the future, fear about what's going to happen, fear about my family, fear about my job, fear about my career, what am I going to do with my life? And these anxieties and these fears are then fought with control and manipulation of the people around us. So, okay, I don't know what's going to happen, but I'm going to just try and gain some control around with the people in my life by manipulating them to my will. And then you're just replacing one sin with another. Instead of going to Christ and putting your trust in him, you're just trying to get rid of this sin with another sin. And then that usually then circles back around with an awareness of, hey, I'm being really controlling, I'm being really manipulative, I don't like this. And then we have fear and anxiety about the the way that we're living our lives by being so controlling and manipulating, and then it just kind of cycles back and forth. Either way, sin wins. So we don't want to fight sin with sin. Kill sin dead. Fight sin with the blood of Christ. Fight sin with the new heart that you've been given. Fight sin with the promises of the new covenant found in God's word. Know his word so you have a weapon to wield against it. Fight it by being alert and prayerful every day against it. Matthew 26, 41, Jesus, as he was preparing for the cross, says, watch and pray so that you will not fall into temptation. Watch and pray so that you will not fall into temptation. The spirit is willing, but the flesh is weak. We have a spirit, a new spirit that's been put in us, and it is willing, it wants to serve God, it wants to live holy, it wants to live a righteous life, and yet our flesh is so weak. But in Christ we are made strong. And through prayer and seeking Him first, seeking Him first, I feel like that's something that I just want to really echo out into your ears today. Seeking Him first. All the conversations I have with people who are struggling with sins, it seems the root is always, there's this, I'm trying to manipulate or trying to work out this one sin, but they're, bringing, they're forgetting about Christ. They're not focusing on Christ at all. They're focusing on the sin itself. Don't go into a, to try to attack a lion with, you know, just you. You need something. Put on some armor. Put on a weapon. But better yet, go in with, Somebody who knows how to defeat a lion. Go in with a David, or in our case, a Christ. Seeking him first, we begin to see the seed. As we seek him first, we see the seed that's planted in our heart. And as we see it, it takes hold. And with that knowledge, it then grows and takes root and gets deeper into our being. And then this produces the chain reaction that leads to righteous living. Seek him first. And I want to close now with verse 11. This great and I think powerful reminder that we are all in Christ. Verse 11. Here there is no Jew or Gentile, circumcised or uncircumcised, barbarian, Scythian, I think, slave or free, but Christ is all and is in all. Surrender your true self. Sorry, surrender to your true self, your real identity, which is found in Christ alone. 
There is no Jew or Gentile. It doesn't matter what your religious background is. There's no slave or free. It doesn't matter your social standings in the world, whether you're rich or poor, educated, uneducated. It doesn't matter what your social standing in the world is. It doesn't matter what you've done. The barbarians, and especially the Scythians, were incredibly and notoriously violent people. In my study, or in kind of preparing for this, I've heard that or read that they were, they were very brutal in the way that they would kill their enemies and they would actually use their skulls as cups after they won. I mean, it was, I mean, this, just to kind of give you a glimpse of the kind of people that they were, and yet even these people, the out of people out of this people group, were coming to Christ. You see, it doesn't matter where you come from or who you were in your old self. We are identified as new covenant people of God. We are identified as new covenant people in Christ. We are all united in Christ because he is all and he is in all. So are you in him? Have you been raised with Christ? And the point is is that if you've worked your whole life to live holy, you need Jesus. If you've lived for yourself your whole life in sin and doing whatever you want in complete debauchery of all things and rejecting everything to do with God, you need Jesus. If you thought you've been fooling God by living well one or two days a week when you're in your small group or you're in your coming on Sundays, but the rest of the time you do whatever you want and live however you'd like and you think that you're getting away with something, you need Jesus. If you just happen to wonder in here thinking that this was a movie theater and there was a movie coming eventually, sorry, but you also need Jesus. And I say this as often as I possibly can. I'll invite the band to come back up as we really get to the end. That Jesus Christ must be the center point and focus of your life. This is especially true in the fight against sin. The closer you are to Christ closer you are to him in your relationship with him, the further you'll be from indulging in the desires of your flesh. Let's pray. Father, we thank you so much for the grace that you've given us, for the love that we've received through the blood of Christ that paid for us and forgave us of our sins and washed us and cleansed us of all of our filthiness. We bow before you. We bring our sins before you today and we ask that you would work in our hearts so that we are focused on you. So that we can see more and more the transformative work of the seed that you planted by your grace in our hearts when we first came to a knowledge of this truth. We love you. Help us to love you more and more every day so that all we want and all we need is you and you alone. Amen.